1: Welcome into episode 90 of the House of L podcast. I'm Lawrence Holmes. Thank you for checking out this episode. It came about in a really interesting way. And I'm glad that I have my guest on this week. It's a short episode. I'm just going to tell you that. You probably saw that while you were looking. You're like, oh, okay, this episode is only a few minutes. But it's worth it. And the reason why is because initially... Things work in, in really strange ways in media. So, a few years ago, I used to work for 120 Sports. It's now Stadium, and you're now going to be able to watch a lot of my friends who work at Stadium on Marquee, the the Cubs network, and when I was there, I used to do a morning show. It was a lot of fun. Me and Michael Kim, who has his own episode of House of L, you should go back. It's one of the first ones, and... It's really, really good. So when we were doing the show, we would occasionally talk MMA, and the guy that we would talk MMA with was Luke Thomas. I have a tremendous amount of respect for him, uh, along with doing all sorts of stuff online. And now he has a he he has a relationship with YouTube through Showtime, and you can check out his show Morning Combat, eleven a.m. Eastern. Noon, wait, that's not right. I don't know math. 11 a.m. Central, (laughs) 10 a.m. hour time, where you can watch him break some stuff down. He's great. You should follow him as well on Twitter. At L. Thomas News is where you can find him. And so we found in when we had him on 120, he's not just a guy that is here to talk fighting. Like he's got a lot of depth of character. And he's one of those people that like, you kind of gravitate towards as someone who enjoys media. So I followed his career. I follow him. And occasionally he would pop up on the radio show, which was great for me. I And I will admit that I was probably more interested in MMA a few years ago than I have been over the last couple of years. I still, I still dip in and out. Like, I watched UFC 246, and I pay attention to what some of the big fighters are. I've interviewed Holly Holm in studio and she's terrific by the way. I've interviewed Frank Mir, which was a really interesting interview about submission techniques and all sorts of stuff. And he's one of the guys whose opinion that I absolutely trust. So I say all that to say this. Last week, Mitch, my boss at the radio station, sends me an email and he says because Mitch is always like, you know, this is just suggestion, no pressure, no pressure. He goes, "Can you talk? Can you?" Here is the email. He gets an email from one of his buddies that works in PR and says, "We have MMA expert Luke Thomas. He does a popular Showtime MMA podcast with Brendan Schaub. Um, he says Mortal Combat, but it's actually Morning Combat." <laughs> would you would you have anyone who wants to put him on so mitch sends the email to me and says no pressure pressure in all caps any interest so i i replied to him i was like that's my dude like you don't have to ask me to put luke thomas on i'll put luke thomas on whenever you want because he's super smart so that's how we that's how we ended up getting together for this So initially what this was supposed to be was Luke and I talking about UFC 246 and us talking about Conor McGregor's return to the octagon, that sort of thing. What it ended up doing, we ended up talking about a little bit of everything when it comes to media overall, and it it was a really fun conversation we talked about what the difference is between covering other sports and covering MMA and the level of expertise that one needs to have before they are kind of considered in, in the world of MMA. And also some of the access issues that happen in that sport as it was growing. And as Dana White is monopolized for the most part, there are other fighting organizations, but UFC is clearly kind of won that war. And what's that been like if you're not completely in the bag for UFC and and everything that they do and stand for? Before I get to it, let me correct this. Morning Combat is on at noon Eastern at 11 Chicago time. I knew I'd, I'd screwed it up because I don't know time zones or math. So Morning Combat, you should check it out if you're into the fight game. He breaks things down in a very easy way, and I'm really happy for Luke because Luke's one of the, the real good dudes in our business. So we had a conversation about what it's like to cover MMA, and for any journalist, you might find this interesting, and for any sports journalist that has the issues of access and the threats of access being revoked, you might find it interesting too. But this is a guy who took a lifelong... Like love for this that he didn't even know he had and and then his, it popped up and you'll hear I'll, I'll save it for you. you'll hear how this guy turned that love for mixed martial arts into his life's work and this is after of course he was a marine so good dude great to talk to understands journalism super well and one of my favorite people, I'm not going to lie, like one of my favorite people to talk with because he's sharp and he's deep, Luke Thomas, episode 90 of the House of L podcast. It, it seems like there's a lot of congratulations that I need to be throwing your way right now because there's a, there's going to be maximum Luke going on, whether it's on YouTube or on Apple Podcast or the project with Showtime. How did all of this stuff come about?
2: Gosh, I don't know. And it's uh, a little too much to be honest with you. Um, I'm just trying to do my best that I can. I've been I had irons in the fire a million different ways, and a lot of times it just doesn't work. But this time it kind of you know, it it the fours, I suppose. Something like that, right?
1: For sure. Um, I mean, you've been grinding for a really long time on on this beat. You're you're one of what I think the the most respected voices when it comes to covering MMA. So for people who are are going to see with this kind of extra shine that you've got going on, what can they expect from whether it's the show on Sirius or the show on Showtime or the podcast aspect of it? If they haven't sampled, what are they getting?
2: Well, I appreciate all the setup here. Um, I have been doing this, as you mentioned, for about um, 14, 15 years, so longer than most people have been aware of or watching MMA, and it's given me... certain perspective. I'd say the value add that I bring is uh, I can do technical analysis on a level that I believe to be at least somewhat informative. And uh, I bring a view from media that's a little bit outside the, uh, the bubble, even though I've spent time in the bubble, which I think gives me a little bit of editorial license to say the truth in certain ways that I think a lot of my colleagues sometimes feel hamstrung about. So I hope that that recipe works for a lot of people.
1: What is the biggest issue in the bubble and I've seen you tweeting about this over the last couple of days that there is I, this is me looking from the outside. I enjoy MMA. I wouldn't consider myself someone who covers it necessarily even though I do talk to fighters occasionally, but there does seem to be a bit of um of echo chamber that goes on where because the, the media who cover it are are very dependent on it succeeding that there seems to be less of of an ability to be critical about it without facing severe backlash.
2: Man, it's a confluence of factors. It would be hard to get into all of it, but the long and short of it is, historically speaking, the UFD has been very aggressive about the kinds of uh, narratives that get talked about in the media. Now, they're much better about that in the last few years. I want to give them credit. It's not at all like it used to be in the aughts where they were – very direct and hardcore to the point where they were blackballing journalists uh loretta hunt josh gross john snowden and some other ones uh that's less so the case these days but the other problem that you want to run into is that the companies that a lot of that hire a lot of people to work on sites or various places and i'm lucky in this regard i don't face hardly any of these restrictions but around the job is to just put a microphone in someone's face and be a stenographer it's not to push back. it's not the challenge because the money is in getting the funny Conor McGregor quote, it's not an asking about the New York Times reports about him being involved in not one but two different uh, allegations of um, uh, sexual assault that he is apparently being investigated for in the Irish uh, you know, law enforcement system. So you, you get the pressure a lot of different ways. It's very, very hard to extricate yourself from that system. And even I have not done it fully, but I, I'm in a position where I'm very lucky. The folks at Showtime and the folks at SiriusXM have given me extraordinary Editorial latitude, and it's uh, that's why I mentioned at the top. It's a real value add. You're not going to get in a lot of places.
1: Yeah, you're right. I mean, I've 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 tried to sample as much as I can, and because of our history, when you were our expert over at 120, like clearly, like I I value and respect your opinion quite a bit on these things. So when you tweet something about the the state of journalism inside of, of the fight game, I. I take notice of it, and and it doesn't go past me very quickly. Like, I try to sit with it. So how how would you suspect, considering how strong things are for UFC, how can it get better, and how can journalists feel like, even if it's a, a threat of access being revoked, that they can go out and do the job? Well, at scale, I'm
2: not sure that I know the answer. Uh, I don't know that I have a prescription for the industry to fix it, to be quite candid. Um, I can just tell you what I did. Early on, it was very clear to me, and again, this is not the case today, but maybe 10 years ago, it certainly was the case, or certainly, t- let's say, uh, 12 or so years ago, that if you were to ruffle feathers at the UFC, if you were to talk about unionization, if you were to criticize Dana White, in a particularly pointed way, not in general, but you know there was a really specific, particularly evidentiary-based claim about something he was saying that was false, um, or whatever just made them angry, you could incur their wrath. And that was very, very clear to me right away. So I developed a system of coverage and editorial independence from day one that said if I had access, that would be great, but I'm never relying upon it. And even today, they could take it away tomorrow, and it wouldn't really matter. I'm not in, I'm not in Las Vegas right now. Uh, I don't need to be. Uh, I can do the work that I predominantly do without having to be there. Now, I will probably go to the number Nurmagomedov fight. In April, and uh, that'll be great. The UFC staff is very, very friendly. But you have to take it upon yourself from day one and say, what do I do if they take everything away and they close all the doors? Is it possible to have a career? Uh, The answer is yes, but it's a long, difficult process. You're going to get a lot of doors slammed in your face, and you're probably not going to have the same kind of visibility that your colleagues who just say yes to everything probably will. So it's some choices you have to make.
1: Do you think that any of this is steeped in the fact that people who cover MMA probably grew up as fans of MMA? And to a certain extent, it still needs to have a champion. Because I feel like sometimes when you throw stuff out there for people to consume, the pushback that you get is, well, people need to talk about how great MMA is and – It's almost as if there's no negative side to what goes on in MMA.
2: Yeah, so, I mean, think about it this way. Uh, Here, I live in Washington, D.C. The Washington Post had a longtime Caps reporter who they just assigned to be the Caps reporter. She had worked in the newsroom. She did a great job. Her name was Isabel. um, And uh, she did a great job covering the Caps, including their Stanley Cup winning season. And it turned out she was a native uh, Russian speaker of Armenian ancestry. So now she works in the Moscow office, uh, and then out of Moscow, not covering uh, hockey at all. Just whatever the Washington Post needs for her to do is a, a Russian correspondent, so to speak. Um, she just got assigned different places based on skills and abilities and everything else. And she has certainly moved her way up. My point being is this does not exist for MMA. If you want to get MMA coverage at a at an institution, I can tell you I've been at the forefront of this in a lot of different places. You have to advocate on behalf of it. You have to convince an editor. You have to convince a program director, hey, we should have some coverage around this because otherwise it won't necessarily occur to them. And that's not true as a uh, rule everywhere, but generally that's been true in print places. I've actually helped Matt Vita and The Washington Post with some of their coverage and how to staff out and who to hire. Um, at SB Nation, I was at the very beginning of all of it, and SiriusXM uh, there too. It takes convincing. Now, these people are not bad people. But they just grew up in an era where they had a plethora of choices. You could assign different people to different places. MMA has been a lobbying cause. So if you see somebody somewhere, chances are at least some point in their career they had to they had to take someone out to dinner and convince them this was a thing that they should do. And um, that creates a different expectation and experience, I think, with the MMA media.
1: And does it create a different expectation as far as how glossy the coverage is too because of if, if you had to fight uphill to get the coverage in the first place are, are are you then beholden to be like see everything's great everything's perfect about this that's why we need it's so popular that's why we have to cover it instead of instead of saying well, look it, it is popular it, it does have a lot of great things about it there are also some things like unionization of fighters health of fighters, uh, and bad acting of fighters that needs to be covered with the same type of vigor?
2: Right. So I would actually say yes, in part, but I don't think that's actually the biggest problem because if you look at MMA media, the bigger ones, at least today, they tend to point out things like unionization and health of fighters and the unfair wage share and all the stuff that you indicated. But it's actually a little bit more of a difficult problem to solve because the other one is, think of it this way, If you have to convince somebody to give you some coverage, like hey, you know, we as an institution should be covering the Conor McGregor fighter, whatever the situation may be. If you don't do the best job in terms of professional journalistic standards, like where we were hammering McGregor about, um, you know, uh, sexual assault, uh, but you 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 did a good preview, it did decent numbers on the side or whatever. Does your editor really care? I mean, do they really care that you're doing the best job you could be doing uh, related to? best journalistic practices or they're just gonna be like look I, I i i did i did the guy a favor he's out there covering the connor fight it did decent numbers all's well that ends well that's one problem the other problem is you have managers very powerful managers who are gatekeepers in the industry that's why you often hear like no coverage or managers you ever noticed that How much yeah. do i know about mma managers probably very little right uh because they are the gatekeepers if you piss them off they have a lot of famous fighters under their wing and they will just close off access to them um Everyone in the industry is incredibly sensitive, so I don't do many interviews. I go to shows, but not too, too often, but that's by design, so it gives me a little bit of independence to say, hey, I don't think this is right, and I think we should talk about it.
1: Well What were the conversations like with Showtime to, to convince them that you were the right guy to, to head up something that, that is not an easy thing to figure out in staff?
2: that the entire pitch was based around that. What if we did something that was first thing on Monday, which which is when it airs morning combat, and uh, what if we did it in a way where it had a little bit of a first-take vibe where it's a debate show between two people, but we just said the things that – we said the quiet part out loud. What if we just did that? Like At some point, that that was just the mission. I wasn't trying to hide it. I wasn't trying to Trojan horse it a different direction. And my thought was I've had success. To a degree, in other ven- other ventures, doing exactly that, but I've never had it in this particular format in this particular way. And again, it wouldn't be like you know overly serious all the time. In fact, there's a big portion of the show that's designed just to be humorous. But what if we just didn't like Every show out there tries to do what every other show is doing: get on fighters all the time, get on fighters all the time, and hope that they throw out some kind of quote you can put it on YouTube, it'll blow up and you get attention. What if we did the opposite? What if we just said no fighters or if we had them on, only if we could very much trust that they would say things candidly. Um, today, we've never had a fighter on. We just want to say what we have to say, and they seem to be on board with the mission, and they've been incredibly supportive. I should give a note, too. SiriusXM is the exact same way. They just want let me to do what I want to do. So I've just been very lucky that I've had that kind of support, but I've been also very clear, if you want to hire me, it's got to be under these terms. And so far, I've not really faced... Any objection?
1: There's a group of people who love MMA, period. They're going to watch, they're going to consume whatever it is because they love the game, they they love the fighting, they love uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu. There's a group of people that are never going to watch MMA because they think it's barbaric or whatever. There's also a group of people that I think would probably be more interested in it if, if they were brought into the tent. What can the UFC and other fighting organizations and – MMA media do to bring more people into the tent?
2: Well, that's a good question. I will answer it in this way. I think it's got a bigger tent than you might realize. And I'll say that while also recognizing there are some blind spots that they have. Okay, I'll say it in the following way. Here's the good news. The good news is that unlike American football, which has a very limited appeal globally, but a massive appeal obviously here stateside, MMA does not have that problem. It is wildly popular in places like Poland, which I recognize is not, you know, Europe's largest economy, Germany is, but it's also very popular in the U.K. It's popular in the Republic of Ireland. It is certainly growing in stature in Spain, France. Uh, Italy has become a bit of a hotbed, parts of northern Africa as well. In Asia, China appears to be poised for potentially massive growth. Japan's been a hotbed. South Korea, the, 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 the Southeast Asian countries, people may not know this, Australia and New Zealand have turned into powerhouses. Brazil has always been one, Canada as well. So, in that sense, it is very much a globalized sport, very much an open tent. Now, I think what you're speaking more to is what about stateside, right? Some of the controversies that linger about it. How do they solve that problem? Look, on some level, it is barbaric. And I don't know that you can really solve that problem. And in fact, as I mean, football is too.
1: I mean, football is absolutely barbaric.
2: Yeah, but think of it this way: like when Dale Earnhardt died uh, in NASCAR, which you know no one's ever died in the UFC, no one's even had a paralysis. You get paralysis and death in American football every year at the high school level, if from nothing else, from heat exhaustion, right? Yep. Um, but it but it doesn't happen on camera. And when the, when that gentleman died in his car, you didn't actually see thank God, but you didn't see the grisly death. You see the grisly damage in MMA right up front. It is in your face. Sometimes blood quite literally splashes on the camera, um, that is a level of gore that people are just not accustomed to, even if the outcomes measurably are somewhat less than what you get in American football. That will always hinder it. Some people are just not into fighting. But what I would say is this, some of the blind spots they have, they're just not great about outreach to the African-American community. They've gotten better, much better about outreach to the Latin community in their Latin country, so in Mexico, in Colombia in Argentina they've gotten much better about that but they're not that great about reaching the Chicano Americans that are here they have they had it for a time with Cain Velasquez so to answer your question what I would say is I'm not the expert on African American outreach but what I can say is I see that boxing has a stranglehold on that they're very good at it it seems very hand in glove finding somebody who understands how to navigate those channels they should be brought over to the UFC or to other MMA organizations because There's no reason why these rock-ribbed fight communities can't also get behind MMA. Someone just has to be a good ambassador for it. And I think the UFC, for now, lacks in that regard.
1: I don't know if I've ever asked you this, but what was it that drew you to MMA?
2: So, um, you know, I grew up in the – I was born in 79. I grew up in the 80s with, you know, martial arts flicks, and that was always something of a – point of adoration for me but i guess the real point of it started i had a family friend who was a martial arts instructor and and in 1994 my parents were divorced i was living with my father during the summers in washington dc and he was like hey you should see this brazilian guy he's doing this amazing stuff it was voice crazy i'm not one of these guys who was like i saw ufc one i I think four or five ufc's had already happened but i went to blockbuster and just rented them all i was you know i didn't know anyone I, i was living with my father i didn't know anyone in the town So I would just spend my days watching this stuff. And then I eventually ended up in the Marine Corps uh, through college. And uh, they had a Marine Corps martial arts program, which was involving a lot of grappling. And I got into that. And then when I got out of college and now the Marine Corps, uh, there was this world-class gym that was literally three miles from my house where I was living. So I said, let me just go check it out. And then when I began to train there, I was like, whoa, some of these guys are really good. And I remember I would get online because I would want to go read with other you know, media folks had to say or what the results were. And there was nothing. There was literally nothing. This was around 2004. So, I mean, there was a couple of sites at the time, but it was very limited in what what you could get. So I was like, well, what if I just started writing about it? I'd always wanted to. And uh, one thing led to another. And uh, here we are, 15, 16, however many years it is later.
1: I think that everyone who covers a sport, I was a beat reporter for nine seasons in the NFL and I think that everyone who starts to cover a sport has a breakthrough where things make sense, where things slow down for them. What was that moment for you when you had a real good idea of what you were looking at and were, were finally comfortable really expressing it?
2: Uh, I think there are probably two different periods of that. Um, and let me be clear about this. I, I do a breakdown show, like a coach's film show, and I do a disclaimer on every one of those shows, which is I do not present this as the only or the best or the most complete findings, just what they would call in political polling my top-line findings. I always encourage you to hear what other analysts have to say, so I'll give the same disclaimer to this audience here. Uh, but there are probably two periods. Uh, one reason why I feel a little bit a little bit comfortable, and I want to be very clear about the wording here – is that I've spent about 10 years training in gyms. Uh, I'm not good. I, <laughs> I make no claims about being good. But if you spend 10 years doing something, you begin to pick up some stuff along the way. And I noticed a lot of my colleagues would talk about fights in these really general terms or sometimes just be objectively wrong about things. And there's a lot of interpretation that goes into this, to be clear. But there'd be a couple of situations where I was like, that is not correct, uh, or what the context was or the significance of it. And I began to talk about it. And uh, you're always going to get pushback if you've never fought, which I never have. But in general, even fighters have told me they've been watching my analysis. I'll get, I'll get uh, emails from coaches being like, wow, I really enjoyed this. And so I was like, I felt kind of empowered to keep going. So one was just after all this time in the gym. And then uh, I guess the, the last one would be a few years ago, I decided to take it into like a multimedia version of what I was like writing or tweeting. And it had an immediate impact. I was like, whoa. Like, I, Even I was surprised at some of the results. Uh, and so I kind of developed it into something, and now I do it every, every Monday. It's called Dissected. Um, again, you have to do it with some humility, and there's levels above what I do that are much more sophisticated that uh, I don't have access to in terms of a knowledge base. But I feel like in the last mm, three or four years, all the accumulated wisdom has begun to be interwoven it helps me to at least get a clear sense about what someone is trying to do, understanding that there is going to be a level of sophistication that's out of reach for me at all times.
1: I've always enjoyed, too, when I've had an analysis on something and it's wrong and people that are 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 more educated in it have reached out and said, no, 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 you're wrong, and here's why you're wrong, and then they've explained it, and then you become better because people inside the industry are— Understand that you're you're doing it in an earnest way, so they want to help you be as smart as you can when you're on the air.
2: Yeah, and uh, people were skeptical of me for a while, but it was a couple of different things that had happened. Uh, Max Holloway just lost his belt, but it was, it was you know widely considered one of the best fighters in the sport. You know he went out of his way on other people's shows to say that when folks ask him how he does things. He sends them my videos of his breakdowns, which even surprised me. Uh, Demetrius Johnson, who is, again, one of the best fighters ever. I broke down his win over the first time he fought Henry Cejudo, and he, on the air, was like, you did a good job with that, man. And there's been a couple of these nuggets that people drop along the way that has helped stave off some criticism. Uh, but uh, And, again, I, don't, I, I try not to go seeking for these kinds of compliments, but when they happen, they are – it is valuable – Third-party, you know, validation. But the the thing that really um, the thing I'm talking about in terms of like helping others, you see a little bit in football where you're like, oh, this guy missed this play, the safety's dropped deep, and blah blah blah, and you can kind of see it. At, fighting is weird, where um, if you've never done it, people treat it like it's either it's a it's a it's a pass fail kind of question. Hmm. Whereas I always treat it like uh, like it's a language, right? Like how well do you speak a language? Well, there's fluent, there's proficient, then there's like basic, you know. And I'm somewhere around proficient-ish, right? That's somewhere I'm about. But if you don't speak the language, that's a pretty helpful interpreter, right? Like, you can get pretty far doing that. You won't be able to read uh, the Iliad and the Odyssey and, uh, you know, things of sophistication, but you can get pretty far. And so when I can use those tools to help out people who have less education, I mean, that's who my audience is. It's everyone who knows nothing. It's not necessarily for everyone who knows a lot more, but that's a pretty big audience, man. And I, and I feel like at times I've been, I hope, um, valuable.
1: So that was Luke Thomas. and That's his story. That's how he got to where he is. And now I can just make sure I get all of the propers correct. You can hear Luke every afternoon on Sirius XM Fight Nation. It's channel 156. He has a show on Mondays called Morning Combat. It's a project with Showtime and YouTube. It's on at noon Eastern, 11 Chicago time. You should check it out. He does a great job. And he's a really, really interesting guy. Really interesting guy who has a lot of depth to him. And you can also check him out. His podcasts are available everywhere. Pandora, this platform, wherever you're listening to, you can probably find Luke Thomas. So if you just look for the Luke Thomas show, you will be able to find it. So I thank him for being open to talking about stuff that wasn't necessarily like in our purview for what we were supposed to do. We ended up talking for 15 minutes about UFC 246, but I'm glad that. I got the chance to talk to him in depth about what it was like to, to cover MMA. So big thanks to Luke. Now let me get to an email. And you can email us at house at gmail.com. Again, that's house of l podcast at gmail This from Michael. Lawrence, I've always enjoyed your shows on the score and miss you, miss your night show. I listen to your day show, but I'm at work and really don't get to really listen. That being said, I started to listen to House of El podcast and love it. Please keep up the good work. I really appreciate your approach. I loved your Black Like Me podcast and as well as you, your origin story. I agree with your aunt. You need to be back on NBC. That's for Michael. Michael, I I appreciate it. Two things. You can listen to me. You can listen to my daytime show at night. All you have to do is just listen to the podcast. For the most part, it's still relevant. So, like, if you're used to listening to me at 6 o'clock, just listen to the show at 6 o'clock on, on the show's podcast. As for being on NBC, I'm I'm totally good. It is interesting to me how there is a hierarchy what, what people think is a hierarchy of doing television. This is no disrespect to the people who do the sports anchor job in Chicago or around the country. Because a lot of them have been on the podcast and I have a lot of respect for what they do. It's not the type of sports TV that I want to do. And after doing it for four years, I figured out that it wasn't a, a great use of time you spend 8 hours turning everything that's happening in the Chicago sports world into a 4-minute sports cast that then gets cut because it's snowing or it's raining or it's windy it's not a great use of time what i found with NBC Sports Chicago is exactly what i want to do there's there's only honestly there's only one job like traditional sportscaster job that I would want and it's not available and I'm under contract for a little while so I found what I was looking for I get an opportunity every week to talk about the Bears I get to branch out we get to do more in-depth stuff there there aren't a lot of restrictions for what we can and can't talk about we It doesn't have to be condensed into a scripted four minute newscast like that. It's more like my radio show than anything else. So to me, the me being on Channel five is not that big a deal. And and I don't mean to disrespect anybody by saying that it just it's not like that type of sports casting is not for me. It was fun. I learned a lot. I learned a ton about television, doing it. But it's not, it's not what I want. Like it's, and it's funny because you kind of think you want that, like oh yeah, I'm gonna be a sportscaster. I'm gonna be on Channel Five, and then you get it and you're like oh this is what it is. Eh, it's okay, but there are probably better fits, and that's that's the best way to describe it. What I did at Channel Five was cool. What I'm doing at NBC Sports Chicago is a fit. It's a really good fit. But I do thank you for for listening and uh, enjoying the podcast. There's still a lot of episodes for you to go through, so I hope that you enjoy them. Here's an email from Peter. It's pretty long. Let me get to it. Hey, Lawrence, I have a replica 35 Pittsburgh Crawford jersey hanging up where I can see it, just to remind me of the rest of the story. For you, though, it may be the story, and I would like... A day where all the MLB teams wear jerseys of the Negro League teams, not just wear 42. Sure, it's worthwhile for MLB to recall that they got something right, but there is good educational value in recalling all of those who played this game. If you go back and listen to the episode with Gordon Wittenmeyer, Gordon and I spent a lot of time talking about the Negro Leagues because we're both fans of it, and he's I I would say that he's someone who's spent significant time being a historian uh, of the Negro Leagues. They've done this before. I'm totally okay with baseball experimenting with guys wearing. I mean, we've seen play like Kansas City will occasionally pull out the KC Monarchs jerseys. And I, I think I have seen the Pirates wear the Crawfords or the Grays jerseys. But yeah, it I think there's there would be a great benefit to that being a part of any discussion that we have about baseball and the Negro Leagues. Thank you. I appreciate this. Big time. Big time. For it's a it's a well crafted and well thought out email. All right. Thanks, Chip. And keep listening. If you want to email the podcast, house at gmail.com. All right, let's see if my Morantz is working now. It's just out of batteries, but we'll do the best that we can with this all right so let's get out of here so that's gonna do it for today i'm hoping that my Morants can make it at least through the outro thanks for listening i got some cool stuff coming up next week man i got a guest that i got an interview to do today i got a guest that's coming up next week that's going to be phenomenal we're we're heading towards episode 100 Thanks for listening to the podcast, as per usual. Peace!
0: Save big on brunch for mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% lean ground sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card.